Hey up, Kel Spellman here, welcoming you along to another one of our bonus episodes. And what a treat we've got for you, because this time it's extra chat with not one, but two of our guests. One being the awesome DJ and environmental scientist Jada G, who is super cool, and nature-obsessed presenter Patrick Aryi. And Patrick's up first. Going back to biomimicry then, mm. because of course I know you've been making a series about it as well. Questions in two parts. Is it just wildlife or is it plants as well? Do you need to look at plants as well to mimic maybe what plants are doing and using plants as well? Is that coming under it as well? Yeah, so, so biomimicry, when you're looking at wildlife or the natural world, it's animals, plants, fungi, which are a different kingdom of their own, mm-hmm. eukaryotes, prokaryotes, so that's like bacteria. Yeah. But it's also looking at natural systems. It's looking at the biosphere, um, so that's where the inspiration can come from. Nice. It's just amazing to think that we can look to nature and actually find solutions for ourselves yeah. to kind of make our lives easier, but then also to try and help Mother Nature herself yes. as well. So kind of hopefully repair some of the damage that we've already done. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because what would be some of the inspired tech solutions you've seen around this biomimicry that could maybe help us in the fight against climate change? Do any do any come to mind? And so let's let's think about humpback whales. Okay. So one of the inspirations to help us with wind farms comes from humpback whales. Right. Humpback whales have these huge fins um, with these bumpy leading edges on them. And there was a, a scientist called Dr. Frank Fish, who was kind of... Great name. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, very (laughs) appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, someone who studies marine animals. The story goes, he walked into a gift shop, uh, wanted to buy a gift for his friend, and he saw this humpback whale, and he was wondering, why has the artist made this model with bumpy leading edges? Surely it's on the other side. You know, when you look at the laws of hydrodynamics and and aerodynamics, it, it it would make more sense, like our planes, to have smooth wings. Yeah. So he was talking to the shopkeeper and was like, oh, I think you're, uh, the model maker here has got something wrong. And the shopkeeper was like, no, I know the artist. They wouldn't make a mistake like that. And so that's when Dr. Frank Fish started looking into like if this was true and why these whales had these bumpy leading edges on their fins. Mm. So humpback whales feed in a really spectacular way called bubble netting. So what they do, they'll find a, um, a shoal of fish and they'll swim deep down and they'll start circling slowly, coming up, up, up. And as they do, they release a steady stream of bubbles which forms this bubble net. Nice, so it's encompassing the, the mm-hmm. school of fish or whatever. Okay, exactly. yeah, 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 nice. And when you see it from above, you can just literally see these like stream of bubbles kind of coming around. Wow. Around. And you can't see anything other than, than just these rings. And then all of a sudden, you just see this huge whale, boom, mouth open, grabbing these fish. And the reason why they have these bumpy leading edges is because they need to be able to turn and pivot really quickly considering their size. Yes. And having those bumpy edges essentially allows them greater maneuverability. Now, when you take that same idea and put it onto wind turbines and make wind turbines with kind of bumpy edges, yeah. supposedly you get an additional 30% extra power oh my God. for the same amount of wind. That's quite a lot of Huge. extra power just from changing the shape. It's an of, extra third. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's massive. So even with that, I was like, that is, that's so cool. That's something that's so easy to integrate. So sometimes it's not about making new technologies it's about adapting what we have already yes and finessing it almost precisely so yeah i i I kind of feel that sometimes the reason why why we don't see the innovation that we want to see comes down to maybe a bit of disconnect between understanding what governs our world and it is business so this is why i think that biomimicry is really really exciting because it, it gives you a clear business case of why we need to protect the natural world and protect all the species that are in danger. Of course, there's a clear value and an ethical reason to protect 
nature and all the species in it. Yeah. But there's also so much knowledge that we can learn. And with that knowledge, we can create new businesses. Yeah, you know, yeah, you, yeah, business yeah. doesn't have to be evil. Mm-hmm. It can be really exciting and it can really help people. And so I think that maybe the thing that we also need to do is to, is to normalize the business mindset yes. amongst people who care about the natural world. Yes. The way that you can actually take action is by starting your own business. Use your community and use your money, use your effort and 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 get to it. Get to it. I've never even thought about it from that way. Patch. Mm. So so true. Actually, my final question. Yeah, for sure. Is as far as implementing these things. So when you make that discovery like that, or when mm. you see, say, when you talked about the whale with the rough edges, and we can get thirty percent more output on a wind turbine, mm. then implementing that in these industries and within society is that happening? Engineers love solving problems. In fact, one of the kind of most relatable examples of biomimicry. It comes from a Swiss engineer. He used to love going on walks with his dog and hikes, but he'd always come back with the seeds stuck to his pants and to his dog. I think they were the seeds of a cockleburr plant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being an engineer, he was like, why? What is going on here? So he looked underneath the microscope and realized it had these hooks and that these hooks would stick onto anything with like a hoop-like hair-like structure. Yeah. And thus Velcro was invented. Ah. And, and, and so that was so relatable. It's so understandable. And so I think it may take time, but engineers, they love finding these solutions. Yeah. And once you've found the solution, then you just have to think about the application. And again, I think it comes down to making a business case, showing that you can save money or make money. I think for me, one of the big motivations also is just how exciting the stories are. Mm. You know, as humans, we're driven by storytelling. And I think that's what's going to change the world. The fact that you have these incredible stories that people can remember, that they can share down at the pub, down at a bar. And I think once it starts to become, you know, part of our daily language... Mm. I think we're going to see a lot of change. Oh, it was so great to sit down with Patrick and really one of those conversations where you come away going, I feel like I've just had a whole day, if not week, at school. But we're not done yet. Don't go anywhere. Because here is more of what happened when I sat down with DJ and scientist Jada G. I've recently been learning about this term. I think it was a Japanese term called forest bathing. Oh, yeah. Kind of oh, term. my gosh. Yeah. That's so funny. My mom. So my mom hikes literally every single day, especially like during the pandemic, she was doing it even more so. And, and she heard about this term. She's like, I've heard about this term called forest bathing. She's like, that's what I do every day. (laughs) (laughs) And like that, that is it. Like there's something that like when you're walking around in the trees and just surrounded by nature, it really is like, bathing you in goodness and wholesomeness and connectedness. And Mm. yeah, that really, that sums it up for me, like in terms of that experience. Yeah. So speaking of nature as well, I wondered, have you noticed any changes or has your family witnessed, you know, kind of obviously with the change in climate, you know, changes to, you know, the area around you. I think when you are in those remote places and I think people seem definitely more in tune with their, you know, environment around them. I just wondered there may not be, but has there been any changes? Over oh, the years? yeah. Or does you, yeah. For sure. No, I've like, you, even though I moved out when I was like 17, I think I go back to my hometown quite a bit. So it gets really hot and dry during the summer where I grew mm-hmm. up and forest fires are our biggest issue. So like as a kid, you would see like maybe forest fires once, I don't know, once every few years at the most. And now it's like definitely a given every year, there's going to be at least several fires within just around our town. And throughout that whole area, it's just like, and it's just smoke, 
smoke for for days and you're just always hoping the wind will like carry the smoke somewhere else it's pretty intense like i remember one year i was working there um in grand forks and it was literally just like a ring of fire like there were several fires that were just around each highway that you would take to get out of the city so many people's houses burned down. It, it's it's no joke. It's no joke. Yeah, yeah. You're on the front line. Wow. It's um, it's so heartbreaking as well when you hear it as well. Because like you say, it's when it's at people's doorsteps. And then all the ecosystems that exist there as well. It's um, it's frightening. I I wondered looking at the music industry as a whole and kind of having come into it. I think same as you know for the acting industry. I can say the same. There are a lot of strides that need to happen for I think you know for them to improve as an industry. As every industry does, it's not just selective to the arts. You know, we've looked at the fashion industry, the energy industry, it's, it's across the board. But have you seen signs even over the years that the music industry is kind of moving in the right direction? You know, you see Billie Eilish is kind of really out there at the forefront of, of pushing it. Coldplay saying that they won't tour unless it can be carbon neutral. Yeah, for, for yourself, what's, what's your take on it? It's been interesting. Like, I think it's becoming more and more of a thing that we're talking about, obviously. And I think as DJs or just artists, like you have to tour in order to make a living. That goes for all, all artists. You really don't make money off of like album sales like you used to, right? For me personally, how I do that is just by trying to be conscious in terms of how we make our tours. So if I'm, let's say like, if I'm flying all the way to Australia for a tour, I'm going to do like, 10 to 12 shows over there over the course like of a longer period of time and not just do like one-offs you know because that happens a lot within my world like you know you get a really good gig in like Dubai or something or like in India and so you just got to hop all the way over just for that one gig and then you got to go back and play in New York the next day and something like it sounds insane but people do do it no they do yeah I've got friends (laughs) and I'm like sometimes they've gone to three countries in a night I'm like what yeah exactly (laughs) so and it's really just in general it's just really not good for you um but (laughs) (laughs) like it's it's that's it's a hard way to live and uh yeah so I think you know more DJs are being more conscious about how they do their touring I think also like in terms of festivals festivals are trying to figure out how they can run in a more sustainable manner I think there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that's happening that we, as the public, we don't actually know about. Like, I know, for example, like there's this company, it's called Julie's Bicycle. Maybe you've heard of it. And they work with a lot of festivals and basically help them to figure out how they run the festival to make it more sustainable. And a lot of festivals just like, they don't promote that. Like they don't tell people what they're actually doing behind the scenes Mm. to make things a little bit better in that way, which I find surprising. I think that's the biggest issue we're having now is people are scared to to talk about it. I think there's still like this stigma that if you're not doing all the environmental things that people are going to get mad at you, especially in the midst of this um, cancel culture, you know? Yeah. And, you know, the reality is, is like, just being a human living in our modern society, you're going to have a carbon footprint. Unless you're living on an A-frame cabin on top of the mountain with no running yeah. water or electricity, you have a, like, a carbon yeah. footprint. And so, you know, I think it's just owning up to like, look, like we're all trying to figure it out. We're doing our best with the tools that we have and we're not always going to get it right. And that's okay. You know, yes. like 
I think it would be great if more festivals, more DJs and musicians just talked about that more because then we would be able to learn from each other, right? But, yeah, yeah. So. And that's, gosh, JD, you, you are, yeah, I, I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. And, and that thing as well, I think, of the blame game doesn't help anyone. No. I always say, I think sometimes when it's mentioned, it's like you said, I said, if you want to find the only people in the world that are that, like you say, they're either on the top of a mountain or it's the indigenous communities that have been living intrinsically with their environment for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So once you accept that, let's then start looking at how we can improve. And the other thing that gets me, Jada, is, you know, it's all well and good pointing the fingers, but what people seem to keep forgetting is like, really, yeah, the individuals we can do our bit, it's the systems and the policies in place that are needed to change. Yeah, I think it's almost used as a... I find it a bit of a cop out from them to go, all right, we'll take the shine off us and go, no, you need to be doing this. It's like, we're doing our bit. But like you said earlier on, the policies need to change. And rather than looking at, well, you fly here, there, there, it's like, well, no, there's a world in which you can do that if the other stuff around it was more better. Exactly. I think, you know, and that's the point, isn't it? Exactly. I think it's, you know, isn't it convenient to just point the finger at your neighbor or at someone who you see, oh, they're doing bad because it makes you know, we're all human. Like when you see someone else that you're like, oh, they're not doing the right thing. It's easy to make you feel better about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we just actually looked at our systems and demanded more from our systems, like, and even me, like, yeah, for all my science credentials, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. You know, I'm constantly learning. And I think it's just being open to that. And you know, by us as artists being able to kind of model that, hopefully people will, feel more comfortable within their own skin to do the same, you know? Jada G, so impressive, super cool, and so eloquent as well, and very, very insightful. I really loved that chat. All my appreciation to Jada G and Patrick Aryi. This is Call of the Wild, a Fresh Air production for WWF. Please do subscribe or follow now for free so that you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening. The Wild is calling. It's time to act. It's time to act.